0: Good morning, good morning, good evening, good day, and welcome to the CARES Justice Institute Incorporated podcast and your host, Mark C. McGuire, Sr. This is Who Cares About Justice? This is a podcast that's going to create conversation and evolve an empowerment around the experience of inequality, injustice, and and inequity of Black Americans. We aim to inform, to impact, and to inspire you to a call of action as it relates to racism in America. We will be looking at the plight of Black men in America, and according to Abigail Adams, we will not forget the women, for within their hearts also burns a passion for justice. You can look for all types of data and analytics that will talk about racism and injustice and, and all of the inequities that are taking place uh, as it is related to Blacks in America. And we're just excited for this year in our season because we're going to have a host of guests that are come to you as experts in the areas of uh, inequity and all of the things that relate to racism in particular areas of life. And so we're excited that Uh, we have this opportunity to come to you. We are excited that uh, you'll be listening in and and actually watching in uh, as the months go on. We'll have student activity. Uh, It's going to be great. And we're just excited. And that's right. You're here on Who Cares About Justice with your host, Mark C. McGuire Sr. And so it's an exciting time uh, in in the life of America, but it's also a, a very sad time. It's a very divisive time. And so we believe that the Cares Justice Institute was created so that we can look at opportunities uh, to do some great things as it relates to working with people, empowering communities so that we can see a better America. Uh, So often we find ourselves in these types of dilemmas and, and these types of predicaments in the country and we just sit back, we wish something was done. We wish someone would would, would make a, a difference. And so what we're saying to you on the Who Cares About Justice podcast, it's time for us to make a difference. It's time for you to make a difference. And each one of us can do something different, something separate uh, in this fight for equality. And so I'm just thankful again and excited because I believe the Who Cares About Justice podcast and the Cares Justice Institute Incorporated Will champion the cause against the violation of the Imago Day. What is the Imago Day? The Imago Day is the image of God in every human being, every man, woman, boy, or girl. There is the Imago Day. There's something that has been placed in them to make an impact and a difference in our world. And so we want you to be a part of that, we want you to um, experience that. And so the CARES Justice Institute uh, has been formed so that uh, we can do just that. It's a grassroots minority led civil rights and social justice agency or organization providing Dayton, Ohio, Montgomery County and the entire Miami Valley and even the nation, even America with key awareness, accountability, advocacy, advancement and action. We're gonna campaign consistently on the value of eradicating racism, fighting in the war of racial inequities, and to be agents of change in the inequality of opportunity in the lives of black people and other minorities. So we're just excited and we're looking forward to uh, how this is going to progress. And these podcasts will come to you every 28th of the month. And we know that it's going to be empowering. We know that it's even going to be a blessing It's not to stir up any anger. It's not to cause further frustration, but we wanna speak truth. We wanna talk about the data. We wanna talk about what's going on. We wanna be relevant. We wanna be in time and on time. And so we're looking forward to it. So you've heard me say something a couple of times, racism. And that's the first subject of our podcast in 2021. Is there a problem of racism in America? That could be a rhetorical question. That could be an easy answer, but I promise you, there are different answers about that question or concerning that question. And so we wanna take a look at it. Humanity is a right. That's what we have to understand, humanity is a right. And when we talk about racism, we're talking about prejudice, discrimination, antagonism of one race group over another with superiority, with the ability and attempt Intention, desire, and desire to exclude, oppress, and to be injurious. That's what racism is. It's to injure another race in its opportunity, individual at a time, and in people groups for their opportunity to advance in America and to become all that they are to become. So, who cares about justice will continue to delve into, delve into this, will continue. To, to push the bar, will continue to agitate for movement and action each individual that listens so that you can understand that you have a role in your community, in your family to begin to make a difference. And for any non-Blacks that are listening, we are asking you, we are beckoning you to be a, become a part of this movement and we understand it. We understand and we've heard Black Lives Matter, not the organization, but the movement. And it's true because every life matters. But until Black lives matter as well, every life doesn't matter. And so we're, we're, we're thankful again for this opportunity to come to you. But we have to ask the hard questions. So get ready. Put your seatbelts on for season one of Who Cares About Justice? We want to ask questions like, what about slavery? What do we say about it? What do we say about the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787 as it related to the Great Compromise and representation in our Congress? What do we say dating back to the the Reconstruction era? What do we say about the 13th Amendment and Emancipation Proclamation? What is the truth concerning it? What was it actually for? What was the 14th Amendment for? Is due process, even a process in America right now? Is it real? Was it real? Was it even intended to be real? The 15th Amendment, voting rights for black men. Is that even, was that even real? What was the suppression issues then? What are the suppression issues now? See the system, many would say is not broken. The system was built with the intent of prejudice and preferential treatment. Can we argue that? Have we seen evidence of that? Is that the truth? Well, that's what this podcast wants to answer. And we need to talk about where do we go from here and how do we eliminate not only racism, but systems that promote anti-black ideology. And so here we are, who cares about justice? Many would say law enforcement and judicial systems of old were designed as the extension of a system that could not stand against the reconstruction amendments of the 19th century, and have to disguise the disgust of the annihilation of Jim Crow laws. So what do we do with that? How do we survive that? What has happened over the last 400 years? What what has happened over the last 200 years? What have we seen over the last 100 years, from the beginning of the 20th century? What have we noticed about the change in America? Or what have we noticed about the systemic slippery slope that we find ourselves back on? And so Today, here's the the statement and here's the quote that I believe is even the impetus for this podcast. You can't change what you don't confront, but you will not confront until you're convicted within. And so are we trying to bring conviction? No, we're trying to bring information and we're trying to be impactful and we want to inspire. And at the end of all of that, we hope that conviction takes place. So confrontation will arise and change will be imminent. And so today on season one, episode one, I am 100% honored to bring to you today uh, via audio communication, uh, a man who has spent almost 50 years on the bench, uh, someone who is noted in Southwest Ohio and around this nation uh, as one of the most just and fair uh, judicial officers of uh, all time. Uh, he is um, uh, just a great humanitarian. Um, and, and I wanna say to you, he's non-black and he's here and he wants to talk about the fight of ju- for justice, the fight against inequity and the fight and the war that is upon us uh, in the inequality of opportunity. And we say fight and we say war, but it's not anger is just something consistently that we're pushing after. He's done so well and been so prominent in our community that the federal court building in Dayton, Ohio, Montgomery County is named after him. And so even in the midst of a pandemic, we see uh, acclamation taking place. We see um, people being appreciated for what they've done in the community. And so without further ado, and here by audio in the studio, we want to welcome none other than the Honorable Judge Walter H. Rice. Hello, Judge. How are you today?
1: Uh, Bishop, I'm well, thank you, and I hope uh, you and your family are, and uh, that you're staying safe.
0: Yes, sir, we are, and, and same with you and your family and Mrs. Bonnie, and we look forward to having her on uh, as well. She she is one of those promote uh, proponents of Miss. Um, uh, abigail adams and uh, and and she says her heart burns for justice as well. so we look forward to that. judge, you you heard the opening of the podcast and and uh you you're no stranger to this issue uh, and you're a mentor of mine in the issue. But um before we get started and jump right into this, tell us tell us about yourself and how you came from uh your your beginnings and to to right now, judge.
1: Well, uh, Bishop, uh, thank you. I've been uh, a judge in this community for uh, more than 50 years at this time, the last 40 years plus in the uh, United States uh, District Court. I've been interested in uh, civil liberties. I've been interested in um, race relations, uh, racial reconciliation, uh, uh, probably since my college years, uh, way back in the last uh, Millennium. Uh, I've often thought, uh, Bishop, that uh, this community uh, could benefit from uh, another civil rights uh, organization, not to replace, uh, for example, the NAACP, because uh, without their work uh, over the years, we'd still be living in an era of Jim Crow. And I certainly uh, have a great deal of respect for the local branch of the NAACP uh, and its director. But a new civil rights organization, I feel, is so essential to get into areas, to get into issues that uh, other civil rights organizations uh, haven't been able to fully uh, address because their plate is... uh, Full. And the CARES Justice Institute uh, hopes to find a niche in this community and beyond in issues uh, such as uh, bail reform or uh, helping to uh, execute to carry out uh, the governor's expedited pardon uh, program. And it's not an organization that's going to work only within itself, it's a collaborative organization. We welcome anyone to the table, including existing organizations that can help us achieve our goal, which is uh, racial equity. Uh, Racial equity, uh, in my uh, definition, is simply another way of addressing what I believe to be the civil rights issue of this century, and that is equality, of opportunity. We must do all we can to get our young people to the starting line, age 18 or thereabouts, uh, equally equipped uh, with uh, others in this country to rise or fall on their own merits, on their own character, on their own work ethic. This is what the CARES Justice Institute. Uh, hopes to address and will address. You asked uh, earlier a rhetorical question, is there racism? Uh, The answer, of course, uh, suggests itself, Uh, and the answer is in the affirmative. Uh, Racism comes in uh, several uh, types. One is overt uh, racism. Uh, of the kind that uh, we saw in this country for hundreds of years uh, and as practiced in the uh, Jim Crow uh, era. That still exists, hopefully not as blatantly as it did a half century or more ago, but it hasn't disappeared. Uh, The legal battles have largely been won uh, there uh, are laws uh, protecting, at least on their face, uh, persons of all races, creeds, religions, ethnicities, and uh, the like. The battle for the hearts and souls of everyone, Bishop, uh, continues. And uh, that is a uh, war, if I may say that, uh, that has yet to be a won, a battle that has yet to be Uh, one. Racism still exists in the form of stereotyping, where uh, you see someone or uh, talk with someone and you automatically assume that just because that person is uh, who he is, is what he is, that the person thinks or acts uh, in a certain uh, manner. That stereotyping is nothing more than racism under a different name. But I I believe the most uh, pernicious form of racism today, Bishop, is systemic racism. The racism that comes from facially neutral laws, rules, regulations, uh, court decisions and the like that simply have a different impact on different demographics in our society. You look at many of the laws today, Bishop, and um, uh, you'll find nothing but facially neutral words in that law. But the devil is in the means by which those laws are carried out. Uh, They're carried out in a way that often has a disparate, a different impact upon different racial groups in this country, and that's what we have to to do. We have to sit down uh, together, Blacks and Whites. We have to examine those policies, whether they're in the area of uh, criminal justice, housing, uh, banking, uh, employment, and the like, and we have to make certain that the laws on the books apply to everyone in an equal manner. Uh, Everyone should not only have laws uh, that uh, guarantee their rights, but they must be the beneficiary of the execution of those laws, the carrying out of those laws that give them the equal rights which the laws uh, promise. So that's what I hope to work on as long as uh, I have breath uh, left, and that is to make certain that facially neutral laws, policies, rules, and regulations apply equally to everyone in the manner in which they are carried out. That's that's powerful, Judge,
0: and and i would jump in here because you said something that was really powerful. You talked about systemic racism and and oftentimes we see racism in, in four dimensions. Uh, we see it personally where people have private beliefs and prejudices and ideas and have an ideology uh, that um, black people are inferior. And, and we just they just brought up that way. It was um, environmentally uh, grown. They saw it around them and it became a part of their person. And then of course we have interpersonal racism where you see the expression of racism uh, between individuals or it, groups against an individual or other groups, depending on um, the, the, the geography or just the situation in general. And then finally, uh, we've got institutional and structural racism, which I believe you compressed in the, in the phraseology of systemic racism and um, where we see discriminatory treatment, where we see policies and practices, Within organizations and institutions, and ultimately, we see systems of public policies and institutional practices that make it normal to perpetuate racial group inequality. And so, uh, you you said that eloquently, and and we appreciate that, and 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 uh, it's something that has to be addressed without question. Now, let me ask you a question, Judge. Um, uh, we uh, there's a terminology that's out there that we've heard. Uh, over, especially the last year, uh, probably more than I've ever heard it before. Uh, And it's a term, well, one term is an anti-Black ideology, but the term is white supremacy. Um, Judge, is white
1: supremacy real? I think it is. uh, Is the uh, ideal, the concept of white supremacy real? The answer is Yes. Uh, White supremacy has been with us since this country was uh, founded and even before the uh, drafting of the Constitution. It's simply a belief and it exists, Bishop, everywhere, not just in America. It's the belief that the white race is superior to all others, that the white race should uh, control uh, countries, economy, society, and that other races are simply uh, inferior. Uh, That includes, in uh, uh, this country, uh, blacks, uh, members of uh, minority religions, and the like. In every country, the dominant uh, demographic group considers itself uh, superior to, uh, to others. So white supremacy exists in the sense that it's a concept that many people, many people believe. Uh, But the myth of white supremacy is just that. It's a myth. The white race has accomplished a lot, but it is in no way superior uh, to any other race uh, that is part of uh, American society. It is in no way superior. Uh, to any other group, and and I think
0: I think one of the problems when we talk about uh, white supremacy is that like anything else, we have overt white supremacy and covert white supremacy. And when we when we normally have spoken about white supremacy, we went to the top of of the uh, the pyramid and we began to talk about lynching, and hate crimes, and something violent, and the KKK. And so if the KKK isn't involved then we, we had this mindset that white supremacy in situations did not exist. Uh, if if there was no killing, uh, if there were no racial slurs, if the n-word wasn't being used, uh, then we, we determined that there was no white supremacy. But as you stated, white supremacy is found in hiring uh, discrimination, it's found in public health issues, it's found with public safety issues, it's It's found in um, things that are are people who quote being post-racial or uh, I never had a slave or uh, those things. Those are mindsets of white supremacy that need to have a paradigm shift because if we're not careful, uh, the covert white supremacy will have more damage than the overt white supremacy because of social acceptance. And um, when people think it's just a joke or uh, that that it's not a challenging issue for America. I, I know that it's become a public health issue, racism has, because it is mentally and psychologically and even physically challenging to people who may be dealing with post-slavery syndromes and disorders and things that have evolved from uh, just generations of, of feeling and being told they were imperi- uh, inferior. And I think one of the things that you said, Judge, was that a white race is not superior. But the ideology of a white race being superior is more prominent in our community and our society than is absolutely acceptable and and is startling among people groups. And uh, we even heard one of our highest officials say that they didn't believe that there was a white supremacy issue or a racial issue in America. And how scary is that, Judge, from people who hold... um, Uh, tremendous offices of not only influence, but affluence.
1: It's a willful blindness, uh, uh, Bishop, and it's incredibly uh, serious. Uh, I appreciate that you've uh, articulated a distinction between uh, white supremacy as a fact and white supremacy as a concept. White supremacy as a fact is a myth no one race is superior to another. Uh, Every race, given uh, equal opportunity, uh, has just as much intelligence, just as much to offer, just as much potential as any other race. Uh, I want to make that absolutely clear. But the concept of white supremacy that uh, exists in uh, many people's, minds, not everyone by a long shot, but in many people's minds is the demon that uh, we must not only identify and acknowledge, but uh, eradicate. And, you know,
0: and you said something earlier about profiling, and of course we know there's a mass incarceration issue and in, uh, the school to prison pipeline. We know that uh, even curriculums have been uh, deemed as Eurocentric and 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 their uh, being obviously exclusive of heritage and uh, and and pride that that should be built in each each of our children, uh, even even from the standpoint of that people of color uh, need to teach uh, a non-black uh, how to treat us or how to treat a black person as if it's a foreign situation to humanity, and and so we see these things going on. On a on a consistent basis, and, and we've got to we've got to figure out how to uh, get beyond uh, this um, victim narrative. That's that's on the opposite end. It's almost like uh, people of that uh, that are non black are feeling victimized because they have to show uh, humanitarian uh, love or what would be normal for them uh, to someone of color. And so I'm excited about this opportunity uh, to be the executive director of the Cares Justice Institute while you're the board president and begin to work together and not only show racial reconciliation and and an ability to synergize and collaborate together in this fight, but to be able to bring in not only uh, experts and expertise, but also resources that will help us not, not just fight it, but actually uh, put people to work and, and hire people uh, of all races who are, who are passionate about making a difference and giving training and informing through educational pieces that um, would be able to uh, help people cross that line of, of covert white supremacy. And, uh, and what I call, I call it accidental racism because there's some people, I went to private school, there's some people who are born with an ideology that in their minds, they never knew was wrong. And then once they are enlightened and illuminated that it is a prejudice that's equipped with power, then they realize that there is a suppression that's taking place, an oppression that's taking place that's not right, not fair, not just. And I believe some of those individuals are beginning to say, hey, I wanna make a difference and I wanna do something different. And so I'm looking forward to working with those individuals. You know, we have things like tone policing uh, or tone policing. Uh, those those things where policies and policing efforts are are done based on, and you mentioned it earlier, but based on skin tone. Uh, we have respectability politics. Uh, we have ways that the media mis or represents or misrepresents uh, a people group. Uh, microaggressions is something that's very new now and being talked about and taught in many of our institutions now and needs to be a part of public policy. It needs to be a part of policies of institutions that's instituted within their human uh, resources department and, and their employee handbooks, code switching, minority tax, and so many other terms that we could utilize, but, it, but covert- covertly we see white supremacy running rampant and we still have people saying that it's not there. And so I, I'm thankful to have you here. Judge, you mentioned it a little earlier, uh, but I wanted you to elaborate just a little bit if, if you can. Um, um, what, what is the inequality of opportunity? What is the inequality of opportunity?
1: Bishop, uh, that's an excellent question. May I part that question for a moment and address uh, some of the remarks you made in the last minute or two?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh,
1: we are all products of our life's experiences. Um, there is, uh, we have learned uh, uh, across a racial, uh, Divide, we've learned to work together, we've learned uh, to go to school together, we've learned uh, to um, uh, work and live in the same neighborhood together. What we haven't learned is how to understand each other. We simply don't understand each other's experiences uh, because we don't talk to each other except superficially or as a job uh, may uh, demand. Uh, I don't believe that uh, white people are inherently uh, racist. I think uh, most of us, and I am absolutely no better than anyone else, I want to make that clear, most of us are absolutely clueless as to what it is to live the Black experience in this country. Uh, Some of us may understand it intellectually, but never having experienced it, uh, we simply are not aware enough of the ramifications of living the Black experience to understand it well enough to try to combat it. So there is, I think, an equal burden on both races. Uh, Certainly uh, the white population is the majority population in this country It has an obligation, I believe, to eradicate uh, any uh, vestiges, any aspects of racism. But persons, In the white demographic are not going to be successful unless they develop an understanding of what it is to live uh, every day as a minority in this country. I can't think of anything worse uh, if I were an African American than than having to explain to white people what it's like to be a minority in America. Yet, Those experiences have to be shared. Um, Let me put it in this fashion. I'm a firm believer in interracial dialogues, where I will share my experience with my Black colleagues. They will share their experiences with me. That will heighten my understanding, not just in the head, but in my heart and soul as to what they have experienced in their life that constitutes the racism we know exists and based on that, based on their sharing of experiences, our sharing of experiences, we can resolve many, many of these issues that exist uh, today. If you and I are sitting down to try to resolve a community problem, I'll very quickly know where you're coming from. You'll tell me. But what I won't understand, unless we get to know each other a little better or are more comfortable in each other's presence, is why you're coming from that position. You're coming from that position because of your life's experiences, what you've experienced, seen, uh, and the like. And unless I know those experiences, Bishop, and unless you know mine, we can't know where each other is coming from and mutually beneficial policy changes may well be beyond our ability to craft. Uh, What is equality of opportunity? It simply means this. It means we must do to the extent possible to level the playing, field. There is absolutely no reason to countenance, to uh, accept the fact that uh, my grandson, for example, and uh, a poor uh, minority child uh, should have different opportunities in life. We must attack, not attack, I hate to use that word, we must confront, we must work with uh, entities uh, that uh, educate our children. Uh, We must work with uh, uh, financial institutions, with employers. Uh, We must do all we can to bring that poor child, that poor child uh, up to the starting line at the same time as my grandson, equally prepared to rise or fall on our on their own merits, uh, character, and work ethic. That's what's meant by equality of opportunity, and it has to be distinguished from equality of results. Really, what we want to do is remove the barriers or lessen the barriers that uh, a minority child living in a poor socioeconomic environment faces and uh, give that young person an equal opportunity to live a productive, satisfying and contributing uh, life. I've rambled, but I hope I've finally gotten around to your question.
0: No, that that was great because I think what you talked about uh, in, in the beginning of your answer uh, is something that we have adopted as a tagline, that conversation is the impetus to relation, relationships and relationships should cultivate action and power. And so I, I think it's important that we talk and I know one of the initiatives of the CARES Justice Institute is to have these talking circles, is to have these talking, uh, these table talks where we bring individuals of diverse backgrounds together, uh, non black, black men, women, um, and other minorities and other ethnicities, that we can have those conversations. And it's just conversation, uh, finding out how we were raised and what our ideas and what our goals and and, and what our value system look like uh, from one ethnicity, one person, uh, one people group to another. And I think you're right. It creates a heart uh, because I, I care for people when I know people. And so it gives us an opportunity to know one another. And then when you talk about the, the equality or the inequality of opportunity, uh, you're absolutely right that there has to be a, a playing field that is that is given to each individual where they can start again or start uh, toward a productive and viable life and lifestyle, and I think oftentimes we don't see that, especially in the educational arena. So I'm looking forward to the podcast in the future, where we'll bring on some education experts, where we'll bring on some men and women who have um, been in the halls of academia and and beginning to make a difference, uh, to to kind of dispel some of the disparity and, and 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 maybe dispel the myth that blacks or other minorities can't function or prevail in those areas and that is just not a token few, but given the right opportunity, given the right resources, uh there there could be um, you know, just as much prominence uh in in, in the minority uh percentage wise per capita in the minority of America as it is in the majority of America. So no thank you you uh there is no rambling on the podcast you everything that said uh, needs to be said, and I'm very thankful. So, Judge, we've talked about white supremacy, we've talked about anti-black uh, ideology, we, we've even talked about racism uh, in in a in a big way, uh, and and now the inequality of opportunity. But there's something else that's brewing uh, in America right now, and we see it as a systemic issue, as a historical issue, as something that has always been around, and and maybe not. Um, looked at specifically, when we talked about racism, there were two words that was there. It was not only power, but it was privilege. And so, uh, in America, there's something called white privilege, and and oftentimes white privilege is is the uh, the springboard uh, that that comes from supremacy, that comes from racism, or vice versa. It is the expression of it and then sometimes uh, people don't realize that they have it and it's accentuated through um, interpersonal relationships or or interaction that begins to express uh, this whole theory and truth of racism. And so, Judge, what do you say about white privilege uh, in America? Is it real?
1: Uh, It is real, Bishop, Uh, and again, This will drive you crazy, but I do want to back up for a moment and address an issue that uh, you so uh, well articulated a moment ago. When I was talking of equality of opportunity, I was referring to uh, minority children uh, born uh, and raised in in poverty uh, as proof that we all have the ability to achieve without any racial distinction, Uh, I'm referring to uh, minority young people who are raised uh, in uh, non-poverty situations and have uh, uh, succeeded, have realized and maximized uh, their potential to the point where uh, any fair-minded person would have to say As far as potential is concerned, if it's nurtured, there's no difference between a minority and a member of the majority uh, population. Uh, Bishop, uh, there is such a thing as white uh, privilege. Uh, We have uh, always uh, been in this uh, country, a uh, Eurocentric uh, society. uh, whites uh, got very uh, got used to um, becoming the movers and shakers in uh, society. Uh, minority populations uh, uh, of many different uh, demographics were treated uh, at best as uh, non uh, persons. Uh, white people do have a privilege that minority people don't have. And and let me just give you uh, several uh, examples. Uh, I've never, to my knowledge, uh, been followed in a retail establishment by employees of that establishment to make certain that I don't uh, shoplift. Uh, I've been stopped uh, for traffic matters by police maybe twice in my lifetime, uh, both uh, very well deserved. um, and I was stopped because I was violating a traffic law and not because of my skin uh, color. I think it's safe to say that uh, because of stereotyping, which is another word for racism, uh, minorities uh, are not given the benefit of the doubt that uh, white people are. You've heard the expression, when I was young and foolish, I was young and foolish. Well that applies to, to me and to um, every young person uh, coming up. And um, uh, I never did anything that uh, would have uh, landed me uh, in prison or in jail. But, uh, you know, I did some things like every young person does that I'm convinced uh, that were I black uh, I would have uh, gotten into serious uh, trouble, uh, not only at uh, school by way of uh, suspension or expulsion, but also uh, with the law. Uh, So I was given the benefit of the doubt. Whereas uh, many uh, minority uh, young people are not, that's a privilege that um, I don't think white people seek, but that uh, certainly exists. So I hope that's answered your question. I, it's
0: great, Judge, because when we when we talk, we 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 see this um, kind of. Uh, 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 heal, which is, is not great, but we, we see uh, things kind of moving upward And when we use words like equality, and then it escalates to equity, and then it escalates to justice. Um, it, justice is when, you know, everyone can see beyond the fence um, and without any lef- level of supports and accommodations uh, because it, the inequity was addressed systemic barriers have been removed. And that's what we're looking for is justice. Uh, we, we do want equity because there are times when supports are needed, uh, because uh, things like affirmative action came into place, because uh, there was uh, equity that was needed in order for people to have the right opportunities, because we realize uh, in America, equality says that everybody benefits from the same support systems. And that's not true. Uh, because what, what is supportive to one non-black group will, would not be enough to support a, a uh, people of color in certain situations. So, Judge, as, as we began to, to wrap up the podcast, um, you know, something else comes to mind. We've talked about white privilege. We've talked about the inequality of opportunity. Uh, we've even talked about racism uh, from a personal, interpersonal, um, structural, institutional, systemic standpoint, uh, but but Judge, you know uh, there's this thing that's beginning to take place even more now as we begin to talk about justice, as we begin to talk about civil rights, uh, we see more non-blacks coming coming in to uh, this this war, and you use the word and then you apologize for it, attack, but I think sometimes uh, attack from a standpoint of dispelling evil. Or eradicating uh, attack is a is a is a good synonym because uh, I think sometimes our approach to it has been so soft uh, and and because it we who what who am I to fix it How can I be the one to get rid of it It wasn't my fault I didn't own slaves is a more passive way of looking at racism and so I appreciate it uh, just the thought that the word attack would come because. Again, not from a a, a physical uh, injurious mindset, but from a mindset of of really getting rid of something. But what we begin to see now is something been coined as white fragility, and so this 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 um, bellowing back, uh, this this fearfulness, or or even an agitation that has come to even suggest to someone that. Um, that, that there is a need for them to be a part of eradicating racism. And let me say this before you answer. Uh, I think one of the reasons and I believe what, uh, what Daniel Hill says in the group out of, out of um, Chicago is that oftentimes non-black Americans believe already that they understand or what the buzzword is that they are woke to racism and white supremacy. So they don't feel it's necessary to either understand it more, get a greater level of comprehension, become more involved in the eradication of racism and or uh, learn the experiences of blacks in America because they feel like they have a good grip on it and it doesn't relate to them. And I think that is one of the first dangers of white fragility is me believing as a non-black that I understand it. It's not my problem and it's not as bad as I think it is.
1: Uh, Bishop, uh, white fragility exists, Uh, there are very few topics that people, let me put it this way, among the topics that people would rather not discuss is racism, particularly in the white uh, community. Uh, White fragility arises because, uh, again, my premise that most white people aren't uh, racist, they're simply unaware or clueless. People who think that they are persons of goodwill and uh, may well be. People who truly feel that they're not racist, uh, feel they're attacked. Uh, if there's even an inference that they might be other than what they uh, presume themselves uh, to be. And uh, I understand that. Uh, Nothing is worse than being accused of being something that you honestly and sincerely feel that you're not. So uh, I, I think we have to lower the dialogue a bit. Rather than just uh, assuming, and like I say, solving these problems, racial reconciliation, Bishop, is a two-way street. I think we have to lower the rhetoric rather than approaching a community issue or even an interpersonal issue between uh, a few uh, people rather than uh, elevating our language uh, to uh, you're a racist, uh, no I'm not, Uh, I'm shutting down and walking away from this conversation, I think we have to frame our dialogue in terms of you may not understand uh, my perspective. You may not understand how uh, redlining affects of my community. Let me share with you some personal experiences. Uh, Do you understand, do you have a better appreciation now of what a minority goes through? And I think that approach, Bishop, uh, will accomplish miracles. Because if I understand how a minority perceives a particular issue, I may not agree with that perspective, but I can at least address it in my uh, attempts to resolve uh, that uh, issue uh, to try to change the policies, the rules, the regulations and the like in such a way that I will address that perspective uh, and satisfy uh, both of us at the table, black and white, that we're on the road toward a mutually satisfactory uh, solution. Again, I hope that's as clear as I wanna make it.
0: Well, that's, that is that is great, Judge. And um, uh, the last thing that we will, I'm not gonna say the last thing, but what, what we wanna, kind of leave out with you know um, over the of the last few months uh, and during the pandemic and and I'm not sure if it's just because of social media or the media in general but it seems like every month we we see an unarmed uh, black man being killed and uh, just on January the 10th in Killeen, Texas, and no pun intended, uh, another black man was killed. Um, We we recognize that um, he also had some mental health issues and mental health professionals were out uh, at his residence uh, the day before and um, spoke with him. And so uh, Patrick Warren Sr., uh, was killed on January the 10th, unarmed, and someone who was dealing with mental health issues uh, who in no way could have harmed the police officer, uh Contreras, uh, I believe, uh, that shot him. And once again, we have a law enforcement officer uh, who is on paid leave while this is being investigated. And In many cases, even if he is fired, is able to be rehired or hired by another uh, police agency in a different county or different city. And, you know, judge from a um, criminal justice standpoint, uh, when it deals with law enforcement, profiling, police brutality, uh, there, there has to be some reform. And I know that y- you, you can't necessarily say at this point uh, what should happen or what has to happen. And, and in many cases, we don't have enough or in, in most cases, we don't have all the facts, especially in the beginning uh, with the lack of um, access to body cams, with uh, the lack of information from uh, lieutenants, sergeants and captains from those uh, departments, a, a lack of information being conveyed from mayors and, and those that, uh, have the ability to make a difference, uh, until later. And, and in many cases, families are kind of paid off or they monetize justice and connected to commerce and, and, and give them money almost as like a payoff, uh, for, uh, the death. And, but the payoff is through taxpayer money. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not affecting per se, uh, the individuals that committed the crime in any way and, and judge what, what, what do we say? And, and how do we feel? And, and, you know um, you know, there's so many questions you can't answer them all. And I'm, I'm and I'm talking uh, just kind of out of, out of just thought processes. And, and I guess just cognitively, just things are running through my mind because I, I look at a protest Again, Black Lives Matter, not the organization, but the movement and, and, the, and the mantra and the, the cry of Black Lives Matter in the streets of New York, uh, and they're beaten uh, in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, the Capitol's protected in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and, and many were beaten there, and thousands upon thousands taken to jail as an outcry because of an outcry for an absolute injustice. And then I look at the storming of the Capitol building and it didn't seem like there was any security available uh, that they could not contain. uh, People sitting at desks of officials of our country who make decisions for our country. The person in the third position uh, as POTUS in our country and, 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 and people have violated those spaces and um, they, they were not beaten. They, they were not, they were, there were no dogs, there were no fire hoses. Uh, they walked out with documents. They walked right back out of the building. They climbed walls. And, and, and that's just in America, what is America saying to black America or black Americans? And is there a white America and a black America? Uh, Do we have to live in silos for our own safety uh, against white supremacy and racism? But from a law enforcement and a criminal justice standpoint, uh, even prior to, I know you mentioned bail reform earlier, and I know we're working on the pardon project with the governor, and there's so many other issues that we're looking at, but from a law enforcement and criminal justice issue, is racism running rampant and too loose and and is there a uh again a a leash again no pun intended that needs to be placed on the racism and the injustice that's taking place uh from some benches and definitely from some police cars judge
1: well bishop uh you've asked a series of uh, excellent questions that must be answered uh And I say uh, somewhat facetiously uh, it would take 10 podcasts to uh, fully address those issues. Let me uh, try to address it uh, not very effectively uh, for lack of time. First of all, uh, there needs to be police reform. Uh, Police have to fully understand and the community has to demand that uh, there are situations where lethal force may be necessary, but in the majority of cases, it's neither necessary nor legally uh, proper. And that has to be uh, emphasized uh, in every community in this country without fail. Secondly, uh, A lot of these police, well, let me back up. Uh, Racism, in my opinion, used to be rampant when I first uh, came to Dayton in the early 60s. I think racism among uh, police forces, overt racism, is much, much, much less today. Now let me explain. yet it still exists. Again, the whole concept of stereotyping, racism through stereotyping, uh, white fragility, uh, all of these things enter into the police community relationship equation. Uh, First of all, there is no excuse whatsoever, whatsoever for shooting an unarmed person walking away from you, whether he be black, white or brown, there's no excuse for that person uh, being shot. None. None, in my opinion. But police are under an inordinate amount of stress. Every day we can sit back and Monday morning quarterback as to what they should have done or should not have done. They have to make decisions on the spur of the moment. And here's what I'm talking about, uh, Bishop, for this last hour. A white person might have been given the benefit of the doubt in a police, a community member confrontation. A black person is far less likely to be given the benefit of the doubt far more likely to be perceived as dangerous, far more likely to have believed that that person has committed a crime, whereas the white person would have been given sufficient benefit of the doubt to have uh, allowed the police to defuse the situation. That is a form of racism. When I said racism is not as prevalent as it was, I meant the overt type that existed uh, in the 50s and, and 60s. Again, I'd like to spend more time on this because it's critical. But yes, there is a form of racism in these police community confrontations, not of the overt type, but of the stereotyping type. That person I am confronting as a white police officer, that minority is perceived by me without any real evidence other than the color of his skin, to be uh, more dangerous than a white uh, person. Now, what I've just said is going to uh, uh, bring about a lot of uh, controversy for those who hear these words. But I firmly believe that the solution, the solution, is meaningful dialogue between the community and the police uh, and fire uh, officials. Uh, we've tried that in the past. It's been very. Uh, it's been less than uh, successful. But again, if I, you know years ago, you've uh, Bishop, I'm, I'm talking in cliches now, but years ago, when you and I were young, uh, police, you know, walked the beat in neighborhoods. They knew people, they knew that Black people uh, had the same uh, wants, desires, fears, anxieties, loves, respect uh, as a white person. But now, now, they drive by in a squad car uh, with usually another white uh, police officer. They don't know the neighbors. They see two black people congregating in front of a store and they automatically add two and two and get five because they don't know the community. And again, Uh, This may be simplistic, but if we get to know each other, Bishop, uh, there'll be far, I don't mean if I get to know Mark Maguire, but if I get to know more uh, persons of a different demographic, a different race, then um, there'll be far less stereotyping, far less of these inexplicable situations um I, I i have two more things i'd like to mention bishop yes if your patience will allow it
0: yes sir please and then we'll this is a great wrap up and and you're right we are going to come back and probably have a a special uh addition as we talk about police reform and law enforcement and some of those things in the criminal justice system because you're right it could take a while to address them, but I think there's some pointed things that need to be said. So please uh, uh, let us have those points and, and, uh, and, and we'll wrap up. But uh, thank you for your patience and being with us today.
1: Well, I'm happy uh, to have been uh, able to uh, dialogue with you and to uh, kick off a series of what I consider will be very, very valuable Uh, podcasts uh, for the uh, community. Um, I just want to say, uh, Bishop, that uh, in spite of all we've discussed, I am far more optimistic today than I was a year or so ago. A year or so ago, I might have told you that um, the civil rights issues of today, when they were discussed, they were discussed with an air of hopelessness, that unlike the 1960s and I may be one of the few people alive who remember that decade, but unlike the 1960s, where we honestly thought we could change the human condition, where we honestly thought we could bring people uh, together. Uh, Once the civil rights decade of the 60s came to an end, for a long period of time, Bishop, 30, 40 years, Uh, An air of hopelessness, I think, pervaded uh, the white and the black community as to whether anything could be accomplished. I think Obama's uh, election uh, gave us a momentary period of hope, but uh, I think the hopelessness took over uh, soon afterwards. But out of every crisis, comes an opportunity, and the horrible uh, death of George Floyd, some of these other police interactions uh, with community members that have caused deaths, I think they have awakened white people to a lot of what Black America has been talking about for years before video cameras uh, or phone cameras came into being. And I think there is a greater realization today than there has been since the 1960s among blacks and whites and browns, people of all ages, all faiths, all ethnicities, that by God, there is a problem in this country. We've got to band together. We've got to make changes. We have to have an equitable uh, society. So uh, I'm not uh, saying in any way, shape, or form that it's a good thing these horrific incidents occurred. They were horrible. They have to be addressed. But I am saying that out of these tragedies may come an era of hopefulness that we've not had in this country for many decades, and that includes the greater Dayton community. Secondly, and this is a subject for another podcast, people have to understand that uh, under the law, the way it is presently cast, it is extraordinarily difficult to prosecute either a criminal case or a civil case against law enforcement officers. Uh, The law is um, very, very difficult to successfully do that. Now, shooting an unarmed uh, person in the back who's walking away from you, uh, the law uh, uh, should and will uh, uh, resolve that. Uh, But many cases of split-second judgment by police officers, no matter how wrong it turns out to be, in retrospect, is very difficult under the present state of the law, which can be changed, but under the present state of the law uh, for uh, uh, a successful criminal prosecution. And uh, Bishop uh, the good news I bring your listeners is uh, I'm finally losing my voice. So I uh, I have uh, cherished the opportunity to be here and to discuss these things. And uh, some of what I've said uh, may be controversial. And I would welcome the chance to uh, discuss these uh, uh, things. Uh, with uh, persons that might not agree with me, uh, in measured uh, tones, uh, and uh, maybe I'll learn from those people why they feel as they do, and uh, they'll learn from me uh, the same. And, well, well,
0: Judge, we, we we thank you, and um, I don't I don't know if you losing your voice is is is, uh, is advantageous for us. Your voice has been strong and mighty today, and uh, we appreciate you, Judge, and uh, thank you for being on.
1: Thank you for having me, Bishop.
0: Um, and and we will have podcasts that will have opposing views, will be very civil. It'll be um, uh, overflowing with civility and at the same time, passion, and we look forward to those opportunities. That's how we grow and, and um, sometimes the resistance and the pushback bring strength. And so we look forward to that. Your words today and the words that we spoke today, I think were inspiring and definitely informative. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm thankful for season one, episode one, and I'm looking forward to so many opportunities to speak to our listeners. And so for you out there, we're thankful. And in the future, uh, you kind of saw me today by myself, but in the future, you'll see our podcast grow. You'll, you'll look and recognize that um, we're also on a broadcast and you'll be able to participate live in some of those sessions. I uh, will have students on. And again, the experts will be here and we're looking forward to doing it. Season one, episode one, had an expert, someone who's been around on the bench over 50 years and uh, being able to see all walks of life, being able to experience so many different things and being able today to share that experience and, um, those opportunities to observe life uh, through the lenses of a non-black, but recognizing the the inequities, the inequalities, and in some cases, just straight injustices that have taken place in America uh, and especially around the Dayton, Ohio, Montgomery County area. But we are so thankful to have you on today. And I wanna leave you with these words. Removing racist structures and cultures is not the responsibility of black people or other minorities growing up in communities that have historically been marginalized. Those who are non-black must listen to the lived experiences and voices of those individuals willing to share their plight, but it is not the job of the victimized and the oppressed to dismantle the forces that have marginalized them and or their communities, rather, dismantling racism is the responsibility of all non-black people in their own homes, in their fa- with their families, on their jobs, in their places of worship, and of course, in their communities and marketplaces. In our lifetime, racism may not be eradicated, but we certainly believe it can no longer be tolerated. This has been the Who Cares About Justice broadcast and podcast with your host, Mark C. McGuire Sr. Today, season one, episode one, we had a very, very special guest, the Honorable Judge Walter H. Rice. We're very thankful for your time. We're looking forward to interacting with you. We're looking forward to making a change. We're looking forward to the conversation, the relationship, the power, and the action. So until next time, again, this has been the Who Cares About Justice broadcast and podcast with your host, Mark C. McGuire, Sr. And so we say to you, God bless and peace be still.